This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 589. Three things that should be changed about the Mormon church. Now, this is another smackdown of a Jeremy Goff blog. Um, and it it comes, it's really inspired by a, a listener who emailed me the other day, Jake Van Patten. Thanks, Jake, for the email. Jake said, Glenn, I really feel like I connect to your words. That's scary, Jake, but thank you. <laughs> I listened to your last smackdown of good old Jer Bear on why people leave the church. Good stuff. Keep it up. Please, please, please do a smackdown of his latest Three Things We Also Need to Ditch with the Name Mormon. It's a really insightful read. Smiley face. Well, so Jake, since you said please, 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 and you did it three times in a three pattern, I'll do it. If it would have been two pleases or four pleases, sorry, no go. But since you did three, all right, I'll do it. So, um, and, and you know, what's funny is as I was reading through Jeremy's blog, it made me think of this satirical piece that I wrote when I was a, a senior at BYU back in 1996. I created this character called Stephen Erasmus Knudsen III. Um, before there was Brother Jake, there was Stephen Erasmus Knudsen III. It's not exactly the same, but it was kind of my take on what Jake did with, uh, with Brother Jake. Stephen Erasmus Knudsen III was Jeremy Goff. I mean, it's, it's before Jeremy Goff, there was Stephen Erasmus Knutson III, so I'm going to include my uh, my essay that I wrote as a senior at BYU. I wrote this. I gave it to my professor. Uh, he loved it at BYU, and uh, I got an A for a satire class when I was upset. You know, it was me uh, dealing with all of these things that just bugged me about like precise culture and saying that you're humble but really being arrogant and just, uh, you know, you'll hear it. So anyway, let's start with the Jeremy Goff Smackdown, then we'll go to Stephen Arasa Knudsen third, and that's an episode. How about we do that? Here we go. Yeah, all right. Watch out, all you people who don't know how things actually are. Jeremy Goff, Jeremy Goff, super anti-truthy fighter Jeremy Goff spins his webs of actual truth. He's the bestest anti-Mormon set you straight sleuth. Hey there, there goes your Jeremy Goff. All right. Our buddy Jeremy Goff wrote this on August 5th, 2019. And he titled it, Three Things We Should Also Ditch with the Name Mormon. And Jeremy says, On an average week, my institute teacher catches himself four to five times a lesson referring to us as Mormons. <laughs> of course he's keeping track of Of course you're keeping track of that, Jeremy. But then he corrects himself and calls us Latter-day Saints. You know, I, Jeremy, I think, I think I've heard you refer to Mormons as Mormons too. It's, I mean, that's tough. Anyway. He's taking extra effort to ensure he is following the prophet and not the culture. And there's the crux of the thing right there. Follow the prophet, not the culture. Oh, I love it. And his actions got me thinking. Along with dropping the term Mormon, 
and LDS to more closely align ourselves with the prophet and gospel rather than the culture, what other aspects of our culture could and should we correct? Here are three things we should also ditch with the name Mormon to more closely align with the prophet and gospel. Man, in that first paragraph, how many times did you say align with the prophet? Yeah, And the gospel. So so you've got prophet and gospel now as opposed to culture. I've talked about this before on previous episodes, but guess what, Jeremy? They're all part of the culture. It's all culture. You know, the prophet... When the, when the prophet was born into the church, there was already a culture that the prophet was born into, whether that's President Nelson, whether it's Benson, Kimball, whoever. They're born into a culture. They learn the social norms, the rights and wrongs. They learn the words that you're supposed to use, the beliefs that you're supposed to have, the stories that you're supposed to tell, the clothes that you're supposed to wear. All of this stuff is learned. The beliefs, the doctrine, it's part of the culture. It's baked into you. you you're, you're raised in it. And then it becomes part of you. So the, the, the culture is a lot bigger than any one person. And you're saying you want to follow the prophet instead of following the culture. Well, the, the prophet is a product of his culture. The beliefs are a product of the culture. I, I was, I was, another listener sent me a link um, a week or two ago that was a, oh, what's the guy's name? We've, we've, uh, Jordan Peterson sent, sent me a link to a Jordan Peterson podcast. I, I gotta tell you, I, I listened to it. It's like two and a half hours long. I have to take breaks with Jordan Peterson because I, I think he's going insane. I think he's brilliant. I think he's, he's incredibly well studied. He's well spoken. He's always making these connections in his mind, but he talks faster. Well, I think he thinks faster than he talks. Anyway, it just drives... It, I, I get exhausted listening to Jordan Peterson. But he was talking... He said some interesting things about mythology. He said some inter- interesting things about culture. And he was talking about um, an author that is a friend of his that authors, uh, I think, Batman um, comic books and um, Wolverine. And he was talking about how when, when somebody steps into a role like that, there are certain conventions that are expected by the readers of the magazine, or not magazine, of of the comic. Uh, There's conventions around that. Like, you can't just do anything with Batman. There are certain rules that are kind of unspoken rules, but everybody knows them. And if you violate them, then all hell breaks loose among the, the listeners. That's a good illustration of culture. It's a good illustration of these things that, you know, the, the, the confines of where you are and what you are. It's kind of unspoken. And it's not any one person who has said, this is how things are going to be. Like President Nelson saying, we're going to change. We're going to, we're going to eradicate Mormon from the lexicon. And that's like when I was the ward mission leader several years ago in, in Indiana, the mission president didn't like that uh, new missionaries were called green beans because it hurt their feelings. It made them feel bad. So he was going to change that. He said, from now on, we're going to call the new missionaries all stars. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I would be very, very surprised if this whole Mormon thing is going to stick. But anyway, there's not a real distinction, Jeremy, between 
the prophet and the gospel and the culture. It's all part of culture. That was a long, long tangent to make that point. Let's go back to your blog. So the first thing Jeremy Goff wants to change or wants to ditch along with the word Mormon is Mormon standard time. (laughs) All right. Anyone who has lived in the Intermountain West has hard the phrase Mormon standard time. It refers to the fact that it is almost an expectation that everything starts 5 to 15 minutes late. I've been part of ward councils where the bishopric was consistently 15 or more minutes late to the meeting. After a few weeks in a row of waiting for 15 minutes for the meeting to start, I started showing up 15 minutes late and was still early to the meeting as I normally beat the bishopric. That's how righteous Jeremy Goff is, you know. Uh, you know, like he gets to places earlier than the bishopric because things are more important to him than to other people. This is this is a very important part of the Stephen Arassus Knudsen personality that you'll be hearing as well, and and the judge like everything is being judged as to what it is versus what it should be, which is another path to insanity that you might beat Jordan Peterson if you keep going down that path of judging things that are out of line with the way that they should be. All right, back to the blog. Eliminating Mormon standard time starts with the leaders. It requires that meetings start and end on time, even if nobody is there yet. <laughs> so the meetings just start, like whether it's like that um, scripture in the DNC, you know, if there are two or three people in my name, then it's the same as me being there. I mean, they might as well said zero. If there's zero people there, you can go ahead and start the meeting. Like the meeting just starts before anybody shows up. That's That makes a lot of sense. This is especially important, says Jeremy, in YSA, YSA wards. What is that? Young student adult wards? As if you give them an inch, they will take a mile. Okay. All right. We're not judging anybody there. Now, I understand it is not easy to show up to church on time, especially when you have three to four kids that are young that you need to get ready. But I think we can aim a little higher when it comes to showing up on time for our meetings or activities. My mom realized we were always five minutes late, so she moved the clocks 10 minutes forward so that everyone thought we were running late, but then we were on time. Deceptive clock practices. I love it, Jeremy Goff. You don't need to change your clocks, but make this sounds so much like Stephen Arrest's connection to me. It's so funny. You don't need to change your clocks, but maybe setting the goal to arrive at 9 a.m. church rather uh, at 9 a.m. church at 8:45 rather than 9 will help us be on time. Okay, this is so much more important as we have moved to the two-hour block. And missing the first 15 to 20 minutes of church is now missing one-sixth of the church. And that's like almost one-third of the hosts of heaven that, you know, were kicked out for rebellion. So you're almost there. If you're—this is me, not Jeremy Goff here, by the way. But, but what I'm, I'm, I'm giving this one to you for free, Jeremy. You can let people know that if they're one-sixth late for church, they're half of the way to being part of the one-third of the hosts of heaven that were cast out. For inobedience. So it there it's close. They're getting closer. All right. So let's make Mormon standard time a thing of the past. I'm right there with you, Jeremy Goff. People should be better than they are. All right. Number two, Mormon Kumra. K-H-U-M-R-A. That makes me want to eat Indian food. The Kumra 
are rules put in place by Jewish customs to protect the Torah or law, often referred to as the hedge around the law. I think you're just trying to show off here. I don't know why this is even a thing. This hedge is designed to prevent violent violation of the commandments of God. <laughs> so aren't the, aren't the laws themselves there to do that? So these, these are the protection to protect the protecting things? Okay. That's, it's, you're describing bureaucracy. This is the birth of bureaucracy. In our day, we have our own Mormon Kumra, or cultural commandments, as I like to call them. These cultural commandments often start with good intentions. Do they? They start that way, Jeremy? That's nice. Like helping us avoid even the appearance of sin. But these cultural commandments are just that, commandments that originate from the culture rather than the gospel. These commandments make the gospel far harder to live for the vast majority of members. The cultural expectations to keep all these cultural commandments is unrealistic. Here is a list of just a few cultural commandments. And I, I, that, like this list that Jeremy gives here, it, it, do, it, it does remind me of the things that I was taking aim at when I wrote that satirical Stephen Arasas Knudsen thing, because they're... Anyway, here you go. Uh, thou shalt, and he does them all like they're the Ten Commandments style, because he's clever that way and, and cute. Thou shalt only go to church in your Sunday best, and if thou seest someone not in Sunday best, thou shalt inform them that they need to wear nicer clothes to church. Way to go calling that out, Jeremy. That's totally obnoxious. People shouldn't do that. They're just wrong and horrible if they do so. Good on you. Thou shalt go to BYU or BYU-Idaho. <laughs> okay. Bitter much? I think he goes to UVSC or whatever it's called these days. Thou shalt not drink caffeinated soda. Ooh. Getting a little edgy there, man. Really? Nice. Thou shalt not befriend the sinner or let thy children play with them. For if thy children befriend the sinner, they might also start sinning. How many sinners are you friends with, Jeremy? I'd like you to be friends with this sinner. You could be friends with me. I sin. Ah, Jeremy, let's talk. I, yeah, I, I want to talk to Jeremy Goff. Thou shalt marry an RM, <laughs> says the guy who is just engaged to a return missionary. And he's posting about it all over Facebook. He's happy, man. Way to go. Thou shalt not forgive thy brother till he has earned forgiveness and, quote, shown he is sorry. That's a, that's a pretty good one that you put in there, Jeremy. I, you know, like conditional forgiveness. Because forgiveness isn't really about the other person. It's about yourself, right? It's about letting go of whatever is tensing you up and freaking you out and keeping you from feeling peace, the peace of mind. Forgiveness helps you feel that. So I, I'm with you on that one, Jeremy. Thou shalt be married by the age of 25. Okay, there's another sour grapes one as Jeremy is, what, 27, 28 now? Thou shalt serve a mission at 18 or 19 for sisters. Okay, I'm going to... What? All right. Thou shalt play a sport. <laughs> Thou shalt play the piano. Thou shalt be clean shaven. That's another kind of edgy one with the caffeinated stuff. Like, uh, I don't know, that's funny. 
Thou shalt walk to the front of the room to offer a prayer. I don't know what that means. You want just people to walk to the side of the room and say a prayer? That'd be funny. Or they just like stand up and back and maybe they bend over like they're mooning them and just say a prayer that way. Like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. No, I don't think that's appropriate. Thou shalt wear a white shirt to bless or pass the sacrament. Yes. Thou shalt discourage young kids from getting their patriarchal blessings. I don't know where that is. Thou shalt tell him who smells of smoke at church that we don't smoke to ensure he understands he is sinning. Wow. Thou shalt tell him that sittest in thy pew that it is your spot. I wonder if that happened. Somebody kicked him out. Which reminds me of a a Confucius joke that a bishop told me once at BYU. Confucius say, man who no shower before church sit alone in own pew. Anyway, back to Jeremy Goff. Now, some of these are tongue-in-cheek, but in reality, cultural commandments have good intentions of improving reverence, respect, and aid us in keeping real commandments, but often they miss the mark. Because there's a mark, I guess, that these miss. I know people who did not go to church because they did not have Sunday clothes. I also know investigators who were confronted for smelling like smoke. I know people who were embarrassed by their lack of cultural... I think it means lack. By their lack of cultural understanding of praying, sitting down in a class, and being corrected for it. In Christ's day, the Pharisees persecuted Christ for not keeping the Qumra. I honestly believe the same would happen with Mormon Qumra. Why are you calling it Mormon Qumra, dude, when you're trying to get rid of the word Mormon? Anyway, let us redouble our efforts to focus on following the prophet and living the gospel and sticking to the actual commandments and not the Qumra. All right. And then the third one. This is awesome. Saying no to callings. (laughs) A rather new trend within the church is members turning down callings. What do you mean by new? new trend? This stems from a lack of understanding of our covenants. Of course it does. In the temple covenant, to consecrate our time and talents to the building of the kingdom, are are you allowed to say that outside the temple? Aren't you kind of revealing there, Jeremy, something that happens inside the sacred walls? I'm not sure if that's okay. I'm not sure. In the temple covenant, to consecrate our time and talents to the building of the kingdom of God. When a bishop extends a calling to you on behalf of the Lord, he's simply asking, will you keep your covenants? There is a false notion that callings should be convenient or fit into our lives. That has never been, nor will be the case. Never. Like when... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, do you think it was convenient? For the early pioneers who had just walked across the Great Plains to be called on a mission to the East Coast or Britain? Or for the saints who had just settled in northern Utah when the prophet called them to the cotton or iron missions? Or to the colonies in Arizona, Mexico, or Canada? I can't imagine explaining to a handcart pioneer who buried his wife and kids while crossing the plains to follow the prophet or Heber C. Kimball, who left his wife on her deathbed to serve a mission, why my situation was an exception on answering a call to serve. Guilt and shame much, Jeremy Goff? I can't imagine that Jesus, when thorns were being nailed into his forehead, thought, oh, maybe I could have just declined this calling. Right? Right? 
make people feel bad because that's the gospel message, right? That's following the gospel. That's following love and charity that is long suffereth and is kind and is not puffed up and seeketh not her own and all that. like that's that's gospel living right there, right, Jeremy? The notion that we have the right to refuse callings stems from pride. Maybe it does. Maybe you should have a little bit more, you know, like healthy boundaries on what you're willing and able to do rather than just be, you know, what's it called when somebody gets you to do stuff for free over and over and over again? What's that called? Exploited? But but when the Lord's exploiting you, it's yeah, I guess it's different. Or the Lord's servants. Because if, if the Lord's servants do it, then it's just the same as the Lord exploiting you. I think that's in the scriptures too. In Elder Uchtdorf's October 27, 2007 address, uh, Lift Where You Stand, he said the following. 20 years ago, I'm not going to, maybe I'll do it like Schwarzenegger. 20 years ago, <laughs> President Ezra Taft Benson shared reports from bishops and stake presidents that some members are turning down calls to serve claiming they are too busy or they haven't got time. Yeah, because that's an, an important distinction between being too busy or not having... I'm glad he took the time to make that distinction between those two things. Others accept such callings but refuse to magnify those callings. President Benson went on to say... The Lord expects us, each of us, to have a calling in his church. See, nobody remembers what President Benson actually sounded like, so I can do whatever I want. So that others may be blessed by our talents and influence. Let us ditch the trend to refuse callings or to not magnify them. Let us focus on making and keeping our covenants even, and especially when they are inconvenient in the words of Elder M. Russell Ballard, Ballard, opportunities to serve others in meaningful ways, as we have covenanted to do, rarely come at convenient times. But there is no spiritual power in living by convenience. The power comes as we keep our covenants. You know, didn't Jesus say, like when he was talking about taking my yoke upon you, you know, the, the cross and whatever, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I mean, isn't that convenience? Like, why is it that we have to make things harder for ourselves to feel like it's more worth it? That's part of the culture, too. That's part of the culture that I think should be ditched. This idea that real peace of mind uh, comes through suffering. I mean, or that it has to. That, that, That the only way to get to peace of mind is to go through suffering first. And that's, a, that's a, a message that gets reinforced in these stories all over and over again. That should be ditched. All right. And then the final paragraph from Jeremy Goff. A time for recommitting to live the gospel. President Nelson is now known for the changes that his administration has made. Yeah. But his focus, it's, it's like his department in the corporation his administration and the corporation of the church. But his focus is not only an effort to correct cultural inconsistencies, it is also streamlining church policy to more fully align. Alignment's really important, isn't it, Jeremy? With the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel, perfect the saints, and redeem the dead. Wasn't there a fourth one of those added recently? 
or I don't know, the last 10 years or so. I don't know. Every change has been to aid in one aspect or another of living the gospel by walking, by walking the covenant pathway to come unto Christ. Our prophet is leading this charge, and now we have a chance to recommit ourselves to following the prophet and aligning ourselves with gospel rather than culture. What is the gospel, Jeremy? Like, isn't like the gospel is like the good news, right? That's literally what gospel means. And, and isn't the good mo- good news represented in this story of Jesus's atonement that you don't really have to worry about the consequences of sin? God's going to take care of that. Like, don't sin. You know, you, you'll you'll find more peace of peace of mind. You'll find more peace in your life if you are forgiving and loving and charitable. And you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. You know, like how Jesus, uh, you even mentioned it in this thing, chastised the Pharisees for being pharisaical. Aren't you kind of doubling down on the pharisaical approach when you're shooting all over yourself? Should do this, you shouldn't do that. We should ditch that. We shouldn't do that. We should live according to the gospel. Isn't living according to the gospel just like taking the yoke upon you and letting it be easy and light and having faith that all is well and all will be well. And you don't really have to uh, worry about the moat in your brother's eyes when there's a beam in your own. You know, stuff like that. Anyway. So, there you go. Another smackdown of Jeremy Goff, who is so close to this Stephen Arasas Knudsen guy. Like, I, I, remem- I still remember, and well, I was probably 23 years old, 24 maybe and I was sitting in this class and there was a there was a guy who wore a suit to his classes at BYU and instead of a backpack he carried a briefcase I mean like this guy it, it, it <laughs> that reminds me of Kramer on Seinfeld when he went to a job and he, he put crackers in his briefcase I don't know what this guy carried in his briefcase as he was going from class to class but I, I pictured that he probably stopped in the bathroom and brushed his teeth between every class just to make sure that, you know, there was no filth or decay in his mouth at any time because that's of the devil, that's of Satan, any kind of filth. Cleanliness is next to godliness after all. But I was also kind of taking aim at my own judgmentalness and trying to sift out those things in myself that I knew that I did, that I could see in others that I didn't really like, that I, and, and maybe I was projecting most of this onto other people. And it was really just myself that I was taking issue with. Because I see a lot of similarities between where I was in my 20s and where Jeremy Goff is now. And Stephen Erastus Knudsen the third, Knudsen the hard K, <laughs> because I met a guy once and I called him Knudsen. And he's like, oh, no, it's Knudsen. Don't forget the K. And so that seemed to me like, oh, don't take shortcuts with my name. Be precise. Let's, let's be appropriate here. Let's not be sloppy. And then the third, of course, you know, because I'm the second. I'm Dow Glenn Austin the second. So I kind of had to build on that with Stephen Erastus Knudsen the third. So anyway, here is my satirical take. Stephen Erastus Knudsen the third. Enjoy it. The Life and Times of Stephen Erastus Knudsen III 
Brother Stephen Erastus Knudsen III was born April 6, 1966, in Sunnyvale, Utah. The oldest of three children, Stephen lived a life of near perfection, gaining exaltation through translation in the twinkling of an eye on his 33rd birthday, April 6, 1999, at precisely 6.32 a.m. Brother Knudsen now resides in the bosom of Abraham with his boyhood heroes Moses and Elijah and will remain there patiently until the final trump has blown. The following excerpt comes straight from the archives of LDS Church Headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah, where Brother Knudsen's exemplary life has been recorded and preserved for us all. The following selection was written three years after returning from his mission and was submitted to the editors of the Brigham Young University's Daily Herald by Brother Knudsen while a student. Brother Knudsen wishes all to know that during his life he desired nothing more than to be the voice of the Lord unto his own generation. Dear Editor, In the light of the many terrible events about us in the world today, I have hearkened to the call for a more uplifting voice in the media and am therefore submitting a page from my personal journal, a journal I keep daily as the prophet commands, to serve as a guide and a light whereby students and faculty of this, the Lord's University of Brigham Young, may more fully understand the course they are about to take and hold fast to the iron rod and stay safely within the confines of the straight and narrow path. In so doing, I am in no way placing myself above others. My intentions spring deep from the waters of humility. I am motivated by a love for you, my fellow man, and a sincere desire to magnify my own righteousness so that it may become, in at least some small way, a great benefit to those of you who perpetually struggle against the word. For if a light is placed beneath a bushel, wherewith shall the world be lighted? It is my fervent prayer that you will approach this with an open heart and diligently strive to be as the Lord would have you be. Journal Entry, March 18th, 1991 Good evening, Journal. I certainly had many wonderful experiences this glorious day. I arose at 5.30 a.m. sharp and did my morning exercises. There's nothing like a brisk stretch to invigorate the mind. Exercise strengthens and beautifies this holy temple in which our eternal spirits temporarily reside. It is our solemn duty to keep these temples in their best repair, which is why I open each day with a thorough strengthening of my physical body's soul. At 5.35, I showered. Yes, it was cold, but I am well accustomed to that by now. I remember on my mission, just before I became AP, the showers were so cold. But my heart took comfort each day in the joy I gained through the knowledge of the blessings I would receive in sacrificing the luxuries of this world for the stark conditions that as a necessity follow those who devote their life in service to the Lord. Like the scriptures say, there is a law in heaven, irrevocably decreed before the foundations of the world upon which each blessing is predicated. This is so true, and I have found that the blessing most closely associated with taking cold showers has been that I don't have to waste precious moments waiting for the mirror to unfog. Thus, I am immediately able to attend to my morning grooming and thus expedite my preparations for the day. It is truly amazing, brethren. With God, nothing is impossible. Having combed and shaved, I dutifully attended to my other sanitary needs, which for the sake of propriety shall remain nameless. 
Suffice it to say, I look forward to the day in which the food we eat and the bodies we possess are perfected to the highest degree, where we will use every bit of the glorified earth for our celestial nourishment and are no longer required to rid ourselves of ineffectual bodily waste. After washing my hands thoroughly with soap, I unclamped my tube of toothpaste and set about to scrub my teeth clean of the previous night's decay. Oh, how I enjoy the brisk sensation of a fresh mouth in the morning. I can almost feel those nasty tooth bugs being vanquished away like sin. I like to imagine that with each brush, I'm casting the devil from my teeth, saying, Get thee hence, get thee hence. If cleanliness is next to godliness, I shall be next to him in no time. I have never had a cavity in my life, and I bear testimony to you that if you will but follow the simple guidelines we have been given, you too can be minty fresh and cavity free. Next, I dressed in modest clothes exactly as I had laid them out the night before, and after an hour of scripture reading and prayer, I broke my nightly fast with a hard-boiled egg and half an English muffin, the perfect complement to what was starting out to be the perfect day. Pardon me for intruding upon the flow of my journal's narrative, but I feel that I must interject at this point and elaborate upon my morning scripture studies for those of you who are at this point merely novice scriptorians. My morning study consists of 25 minutes in the Book of Mormon, 20 minutes in the New Testament, 10 with the Doctrine and Covenants, or the Pearl of Great Price, whichever way the Spirit guides me, and the last five I spend in my white missionary instruction booklet, as it gives me strength and a renewed desire to serve each day to my highest potential. The highlight of my Book of Mormon study is currently 2 Nephi. It is plain and precious and is my favorite book in all the scriptures. I must note that I deeply resent the many jokes I hear about it from others less in tune with eternal things, and I caution you to keep in remembrance what happened to the Lamanites when they mocked and scorned and rejected the purity of God's word. In the New Testament, I'm highlighting all of the words uttered by our Savior and spend most of my time committing them to memory. I'm also blackening out all of the words not confirmed in the Joseph Smith translation. Next week, I'll be starting on Paul. The book of Abraham in the Pearl of Great Price is particularly interesting to me. As of late, I have been fasting in an effort to translate facsimile number two. I would that I could share with you what has been revealed to me thus far, but I feel it is sacred and... Please take this in the spirit in which it is given. I fear casting my pearls before swine. Nothing personal. It's just that if you were ready to know these truths, God would have revealed them to you already. But do not despair. The process of personal discovery is a necessary step along the path we should trod towards eternal perfection. And I would hate to rob you of those blessings and become a stumbling block or a cuss and a byword to you. That should suffice. Back to my journal. By 7 a.m., a time in which most of the world still indulges in the vain slothfulness of slumber, I was already well into my day. It's a shame that the Lord's University of Brigham Young does not offer classes any earlier than 7 a.m. I suppose I will just have to wait until that great millennial day to truly begin my eternal studies at a pace that best fits my desire to learn the words of God. Having attended my Old Testament and Book of Mormon classes, I took a break between 9 and 9.50 to brush my teeth again. It was a vigorous scrub, which nearly made up for the garbage I was about to receive in my 10 o'clock science class. 
Today, Professor Brundle continued his discussion on evolution, despite my many warnings against it. I still plan to report him to the Church Board of Education and have already drafted my second letter to the general authorities on this matter. Professor Brundle simply refuses to accept the scriptures as fact. I hope I never have such little faith. I wish I didn't have to take this class, but it is required. I suppose the Lord requires us to take such courses at His university because there must needs be opposition in all things, 2 Nephi 2.11. After all, where would our free agency be if the university only offered courses based on principles of truth? After class, I had an unfortunate and very disappointing encounter. I was on my way to work. I bumped into Elder Snell, my third companion, just before I went DL. I said, hi, Elder Snell. And he said, gee whiz, Steve, we're not on our missions anymore. Call me John now, or better yet, don't. First of all, I don't approve of that kind of language. Everyone knows that gee whiz is a longer form of Jeez, which is an abbreviation of Jesus, our Savior's name and mortality. And the Lord clearly told Moses that using the Lord's name in vain is one of the worst sins there is. Second, my name is Stephen, after the martyr in the book of Acts, not Steve. And everyone knows I prefer to go by Elder Knudsen, or at least Brother Stephen. Third, he was violating the dress code in more ways than one. He was wearing shorts that were well above his knee. He wasn't wearing any socks, which isn't actually in the honor code, but it should be. And you could clearly see his nipples through his shirt. Now, I know that the no nipple points admonition is directed towards our sweet sisters, but it's just as offensive when that law is violated by the men. It's like they're poking their way out into the world saying, here I am, here I am. Disgusting. And finally, he was still upset with me for what happened the other night. Now, this experience has already been recorded in a previous journal entry, but I feel it appropriate to recount it here again. The other night, as I was leaving the library, I saw Elder John Snell making out with a girl on campus. I don't want to get graphic, but he had his hands placed squarely on the small of her back, and I believe he was kissing with his tongue. Some people call this PDA, Public Display of Affection, But I think the A stands for something more descriptive of what it really is. And I could not allow this unsightly display of atrocity to continue without severe reprimand. So I approached Elder Snell and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Elder Snell, please remember who you are and what you stand for. And they stepped away. Quite appropriately, the sweet sister was a little embarrassed and appeared more than just a little penitent. For that, I am grateful. But Elder Snell turned around quite belligerent and had the audacity to smile at me and say, Geez, I'm sorry, Steve, but how else do you expect me to fulfill my priesthood obligation of finding a wife? He knows I hate being called Steve. And what nerve mingling the philosophies of men with Scripture! Yes, I admit, every worthy priesthood holder is dutifully bound to seek out an eternal companion, but it's equally well known, or at least it should be, that every worthy priesthood holder should wait and not kiss his wife until after they are sealed over the holy altar in the holy temple. Elder Snell was clearly out of line, and knowingly so. 
He left me no choice. So, like Amulek to Zeezrom, I stood firm and quoted words of righteous admonition. In this case, the words of President Spencer W. Kimball, which I have committed to memory as follows. How like the mistletoe is immorality. The killer plant starts with a sticky sweet berry. Once rooted, it sticks and grows a leaf, a branch, a plant. It never starts mature and full grown. It's always transplanted an infant. Nor does immorality begin in adultery or perversion. Those are full grown plants. Little indiscretions are the berries. Indiscretions like sex thoughts, sex discussions, passionate kissing. The leaves and little twigs are masturbation and petting and such, growing with every exercise. I reminded Elder Snell of his CTR ring and the problems he had had with little twigs in the mission field. He asked who was I to lecture him on this, to which I made it perfectly clear that I can still say with all honesty of heart that twigs and leaves have never been a problem for me. The righteous and pure are sanctioned to throw stones. I further reminded Elder Snell that he should be preparing for eternal marriage and of his responsibility as a protector of this sweet sister's virtue and that no one wants to eat a sandwich when someone before them has licked off all the butter. I encouraged them to both go home and repent before they lost any more of their butter. The wicked take the truth to heart, and Elder Snell was naturally upset, but I cannot apologize for representing the Word of God, and I refuse to be ashamed of the fact that everything I do is right. After leaving Elder Snell, I hurried off to work, where I changed into my suit and tie as usual and began going about my many important duties. I love the MTC so much. Each day I worked there was such an uplifting experience, and I will never forget what a wonderful time that was in my life. I had to resign, of course, because I felt that I had as much to offer the rest of the world as I did to the outgoing missionaries. Also, the brethren there didn't see eye to eye with my inspired revisions of the missionary discussions. I am constantly reminded, however, that I must be patient with those around me. My suffering is not yet as Job. So after leaving the MTC, I decided it was important to share my testimony with as many people as possible, and the McDonald's drive through window seemed the perfect place, for each day I see the many faces of the meek and humble, the very salt of the earth." Wherewith shall they be salted, you may ask? Well, I give them extra salt with their fries so they won't lose their savor. That's my little joke. After work, I went to the library on campus to study. It disappoints me that the library stays open until the witching hour of midnight. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. I choose not to support the library in its less-than-appropriate selection of hours, so I study only until 7 p.m. I study hard. I can't wait to be a seminary teacher. What a great profession to choose. It will make the transition much easier for me when I'm called to a high position of leadership in the church. On my way home from the library, I had a truly wonderful experience. I was approached by an angelic messenger from the Lord. He was clean-cut, shaven, and had a very appropriate disposition. It was not difficult for me at all to judge that this was a messenger from God, but just in case, I recalled the following church teachings, which I have committed to memory and prepare to put in practice each and every day. 
There are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely angels, who are resurrected personages, having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect, they who are not yet resurrected, but will inherit the same glory. When a messenger comes, saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and ask him to shake hands with you. If he be a resurrected angel, he will do so, and you will feel his hand. If he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you, but he will not move, because it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive. But he will still deliver his message. If it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. These are three grand keys whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. I think it's good that the prophet gave this instruction for members of the church who don't already have a keen sense of discernment unto themselves. Like on my mission, when I had a run-in with the evil spirit that was possessing the body of Elder Wollstonehume, it was giving him such convulsions that I held him down until he stopped frothing at the mouth, and I cast that spirit into outer darkness by the means whereby we have been instructed." I still don't believe those doctors who diagnosed him with epilepsy. Elder Wollstonehume was not a faithful missionary. He slept in every day until 6.15. How could doctors, in their limited understanding, know that all those fits were actually brought on by evil spirits as a result of his unrighteousness? I have experienced it many times before. I know what evil feels like. So there I was, face to face with this angel, who I already could tell was a good one. Still, I determined to ask him to shake my hand, but felt that I ought to do it in a clever way, just to be safe. So I asked him who he had been in his mortal probation, thinking that he must have been someone great, like Moroni or Lincoln. And then I would say, Hello, Mr. Lincoln, very nice to meet you, and reach out to shake his hand in a more natural way. Unfortunately, when I asked who he had been, he stammered and said, Bob. It threw me for a minute, so I decided to ask him what good things he had done in mortality to warrant his position as a ministering angel. Then I could congratulate him with a handshake. But when I asked, he told me, nothing really. I died before being baptized at the age of eight. (sighs) Undaunted, I asked question after question until he finally stopped me and said, you're trying to shake hands with me, aren't you? He reached out and shook my hand. I was so embarrassed. I don't even remember what it felt like, but I'm sure it must have felt pretty neat. The next thing I knew, we were flying through the night sky. It was an exhilarating feeling. It kind of tickled, but in a good, non-twig-like kind of way. Finally, we stopped in a large, heavenly classroom with an oversized crystal chalkboard He still used regular chalk, but it didn't squeak when you pressed down too hard, and it never broke. There I received several hours worth of training that I unfortunately cannot reveal. Such as the fact that dinosaurs were real, the forbidden fruit wasn't an apple, it was an avocado, Noah actually had a fleet, women really are kind of equal to men, and the lost tribes of Israel are the Scandinavians, who were never really lost, they've only been pretending. Bob then brought me back to the library and wished me a peaceful night's sleep. 
I thanked him, and he started to leave, then stopped and paused for a moment. He told me that he really liked my cologne and said, By the way, Bigfoot, he's really Cain. He's still alive, you know. And then he was gone. What a vision. They're getting better and more informative all the time. When I got home, my roommates were watching TV again. They must have found out where I'd hit it. Oh well, all I can do is be an example for them. As the saying goes, you can take the man out of the church, but you can't take baloney away from a really hungry toad. I shut the door to my room, put in my earplugs, said my prayers, and am writing in my journal at this very second. The clock says 8.07 p.m., a few minutes later than I usually go to sleep, but I just have so much to be thankful for today, and I would rather sacrifice a few minutes of precious slumber than break a commandment and skimp on my journal entry. I'm going to bed now. What a glorious day this has been. I'll write again tomorrow. Good night. It is my sincere hope and prayer that this journal entry may become to you what it has become to me and what I hope it will someday be to my children, my personal set of scriptures. If you would like to contact me, I would be more than happy to share more of my experiences with you. Maybe we could even become friends. I think that would be highly appropriate. You can contact me at 376-8521 or just stop by Villa University Terrace at Ridgemont Number 7. Ask for Stephen. And as a side note, please don't call me Steve. I was named after Stephen, who in the New Testament saw Christ on the right hand of the Father as he gazed into the sky. So I prefer my full name to be used rather than the more common, vulgar shortcut. I'm sure you understand. Thank you. Your servant in Christ, Stephen Erastus Knudsen the third. Hi, this is John DeLynn from Logan, Utah, and I am a douchebag. <laughs> you can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to And if there are other topics that you'd like to hear discussed, please email me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can send a donation through PayPal or you can sign up on our Patreon page where you also get access to exclusive content that's not published to the general public. So thank you very much again for listening to Infants on Thrones. I am, I am, I am Superman.